0: Welcome to the Men Among Demons podcast. Hey.
1: In a disoriented world, this is the podcast that asks what would happen if we truly put Christ at the center of our thinking.
0: Hey. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Opperwall.
1: And I'm your host, Dr. Greg Weeb.
0: Hi, Greg. Hey, man. Greg, this is our pilot episode, so I thought it might make sense to kind of start off uh, by talking a bit about the title of our show, and one of the themes that I expect is going to come up. Quite often, in our conversation, by which I mean the theme of demons, uh, I want to contextualize a little bit that for you, speaking about demons, I know comes comes in part from your experiences as an orthodox Christian living life in this world, and in part uh, from your experience as a scholar studying. Uh, studying ancient demonology, especially St. Augustine of Hippo. You got a forthcoming monograph on Oxford University Press that deals with this issue of angels and in demons in St. Augustine. It's really excellent, I will say, on your behalf. Thank you. But I wonder if you want to jump in and just get us going here by talking a little bit about what demons are, uh, what they're not, and why you see them as sort of significant for real life in the world, for our politics, for our society, and for you know sort of everything.
1: I was thinking about this leading up to our conversation, and it is such a difficult question to answer. Um, But I guess the only way to do it is to dive in the middle and see what what sense we can make from there. I mean, I think, you know, so for early Christians, maybe not the earliest Christians, but certainly by the time of the, the fourth century and Augustine is writing, demons are fallen angels. That's actually from about maybe the second century. Demons are fallen angels. That doesn't really answer the
0: question though, right. Because
1: what's an angel?
0: Well, what is an angel?
1: Well, an angel is a kind of intellectual existence. The way to think about it, I guess, is to start thinking in terms of of um the, the you know the mythic appearances, the, the the stories that you come across that are taken to manifest angelic work or demonic work you know, angels are light, right? They're, they're an intellectual existence. They're an enlightened existence. The illumination is, is their very existence. And so then demons, and and they have, they have the angels have that existence, uh, by loving God, by loving and knowing God and, and in their love for God, God has created them and called them into existence and called them to form. And, uh, and in their response in love to God, they then know God, are capable of knowing God, and uh, and in that sense are illuminated with true knowledge and become light, uh, become light like God. But the demons, the demons don't love God, and so they're a kind of uh, a darkness of existence. But I don't know. Like this, this it feels like it feels like it's already a little too a little too abstract.
0: Yeah. No, I, I was going to say I, I I think so. I mean, I think one of the things that I find interesting about the way you work on this and think about it is the degree to which. Well, let me let me back up even a little bit from there. So I, let's let's start maybe with the concept of angels and demons that you, the average person, even even many among Orthodox Christians often walks around with, which is this, this notion that, you know, demons are little guys with, with horns and angels are, you know, maybe winged dressed in white, attractive creatures. And and that this is almost kind of literally what they are and then alternative. So that, that would be viewed by a lot of people as, the apparently traditional approach to what angels and demons are, apparently I, and, I, and I think that 's key, apparently traditional in our popular consciousness, but then there 's this alternating approach the, the only alternative that 's often seems to be offered. Is that they just aren't anything at all, or maybe they're at best a kind of metaphor for internal forces, internal psychological things going on uh, within us. So maybe at most they're they're metaphorical of the good and evil um, in the world or within ourselves. And I think it's interesting as you have, at least as I've encountered your work, that you don't really seem to me to buy into either of those. Ways of looking no, at no, that's
1: right. So one of the ways you can start talking about it is exactly this way. What are demons not? What are they definitely not? Well, so one of the options is like you like you'd have in mind, you know. So Gustave Dore has these um, uh, I don't know if they're engravings or drawings or whatever that he did for uh, Milton's Paradise Lost, and they're sort of like uh, these iconic images of of Satan and his angels, and um, and and it's it's exactly this, right? These great winged um, Supermen basically uh that you know just happen to be invisible right, so people have this have this kind of image in mind of like demons are these uh are effectively humans with wings that just happen to be invisible right. So I think so you know so that's you know so saying that you believe you believe demons exist or that angels exist you know there's going to be a lot of people who hear that and think oh you just think that there are these invisible things flying around that you can't see or hear or touch but you just you sort of assert that they they do exist and do these things sort of against against all uh, you know evidence or whatever so that's one wrong way of thinking about it I don't I I don't think it's I don't think it's correct to think uh, to think of of demons as sort of invisible men flying around you know screwing things up for people and then the other wrong way to think about it is that the demonic as you say is a, is a metaphor for what are really uh you know uh, merely psychological processes or or you know psychological um uh, events and processes and and tensions in 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 the human within the human mind like w- one of the things that I had to figure out in my work is is how important it is to uh distinguish uh and get the relation right between um between between the angel or demon as as a kind of invisible um noetic existence and invisible intellectual existence and the mode of their manifestation because it's a little bit like um it's a little bit like humans but not really i mean it's a little bit like the soul's relation to the body um but it, but it's not and so and so what you have to do is see is start to see uh demons as a kind of explanation for a, for a pattern of um for a mythological pattern or a pattern of of um you know events or certain tendencies or uh, or or that kind of thing
0: when you say that it's it's sounding a little bit to me like we're sort of back to the kind of metaphorical only vantage on things um which which i which i gather isn't isn't really quite right either we we neither are they like you said neither are they people who just happen to be invisible people with wings and lots more power who we happen not to be able to see but nor nor is it just again just a metaphor for other things that there are there are these unseen intelligences in one on one hand but on the other hand they're not they're not like a human intelligence either. And so there I I feel like whenever I talk to you, there's this blend of uh well there's almost this blend of both of these problematic, potentially problematic ways of, of looking at it, such that it's a kind of it not it's not a it, it's almost a both and I feel like it, it, when I when I speak to you anyway. S- so things are things can be demonic. Um which is to say part of the pattern of, of, of what the demonic is. Uh, But there are, there are also in fact, sincerely, actually demons. (laughs) I mean, if you know what I mean, that are mixed up in this pattern. Uh, And, and to, to clarify that a little bit, at least this this is what I gathered from you. The demonic is at the end of the day is anything that's pulling us away from God, right. From Christ. Fundamentally, which is which is where this the spiel for our podcast and the, and, and the name for the podcast as it's going right now has kind of come from, I think, is that notion that we're in this world, this disoriented world is how we introduced it, pulling us away from Christ, which who should be the center of, of all things. And that being pulled away, that's that's demonic Where wherever it's coming from, whether or not it's coming from you know the acts of of actual demons <laughs> or whether it's coming from i don't know other influences that are that are sort of wrapped up with this this pattern of being the angelic is the opposite the angelic is that which vectors us to christ well no that's right like for me
1: it's helpful obviously to think about this the way the early christians thought about this uh the way augustine thought about this um recognizing that the world the world is a different place now okay so um but for them, like there, I think, there's two main two main ways of thinking about demons, and they more or less correspond to, you know, uh, thinking about demons from the office of the bishop, and thinking about demons from the office uh, from the cell of the of of the monastic, from the cell of the monk. And to me, the two basic ways are that the demons are the gods of the nations. So when you talk about my book, like the whole book is about was about trying to figure out how that even makes sense. What does it mean for Augustine to say the gods of the nations are demons? And when he says that, he's of course quoting um, Psalm ninety-five from the Septuagint. The gods of the nations are demons. Um, well, one of the things that's not is just is is early Christian authors saying or the you know the or the. Translators, the the Septuagint translators. What they're not doing is saying the gods of the nations are really, really bad, and we really don't like them, right? That's not that's it's not it's not demonizing the way we use that that verb today. They're they're making a claim about um they're making a claim about the the structure of things and how you know how the nations work and how identity works and how you know what worship has to do fundamentally what worship has to do with um with people with with souls with um you know uh citizenships with with cities and their political orientation and cultural you know their their cultural orientation right so the gods of the nations are demons when you say things when you say something like that what what the early christians are saying is like those gods that you see there, whose statues you see in the forum, whose temples you see in the forum, uh, whose whose rituals you see, uh, you know there are people sacrificing to these gods, making you know literal animal sacrifices, uh, or pouring out libations to the gods, or dedicating um, circus uh, circus performances or beast hunts to the gods or gladiator fights to the gods. All of that, it's it's a it, it's saying it's talking about sort of a What's what's really going on here and what the common what the commonality is. Because all of these things to the early Christian to the early Christian imagination, all of those things are contributing to drawing you away from God. Right? And so the gods so the gods of the nations are demons because you know Zeus and Hera and Um uh, and Minerva and and all like these guys are you know the gods of that that you know Homer references and that Virgil references, um, the characters that they're talking about are demons. Um, who who ask who ask to be a sacrificed to who ask to be served. You know the gods demand a certain kind of service, uh, and they have ways of demanding that right. And that's that's what you that's what you're talking about in terms of like, um, you know, it's not just um, it's not just a mere th- sort of theory uh, to explain certain like it's not just a projection or something like that because because the the force of what actually happens is people have dreams right and they have experiences of di- divine power right this superhuman power miraculous power that then because of their cultural context compels them to set up an altar here to set up a shrine here to offer games to the gods to to consult the gods to consult their will and to organize a, a political identity structure that's uh that's oriented to trying to maintain the pax de orm right the peace of the gods um so that's so that's that's one side of things right um and that I think for, for bishops like Augustine who are living in the city and dealing with hundreds of Christians and traveling around and preaching, and dealing with you know um, sociological forces, cultural forces, uh, and patterns of behavior among large groups of people, like that seems to be that seems to be one area of focus. And then the other thing is this: like if you you know you want to you want to attain to holiness, right? And uh, and you say to yourself, like I have to, I gotta leave this place. I gotta leave people. I gotta go live in the desert. I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta spend my day praying in a cell. Right? You gotta become a monk to achieve this holiness. Well, you're gonna you're gonna have a related but distinct experience of that which keeps you from God, right? Right then, you know. So among the monks, they're not thinking in terms of broad cultural patterns and, and sociological movements, cultural movements. They're thinking like, if, if if I were going to try to love God, you know, what, how, how do I do that? And when they start, you know, when you start on that path, you know, certain you find certain things happening. You find that you have all sorts of little thoughts you have all sorts of it starts to occur you know you find things in yourself or or coming to you happening to you whether it's whether it's thoughts or strange occurrences or whatever that um or your, or the you're, right, the noonday demon of Psalm ninety, this 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 sleepiness or acedia in the in the afternoon, this like listlessness, and I don't feel like I don't feel like doing my prayers or whatever, right? Like you you know, every day this happens, or or I find you know, I wanna I wanna love God, I wanna spend my day in prayer, but I just uh, I just can't, right? So you have these you have these different things that start to come to you, and you and you start to realize like, you know. I don't, I don't control these thoughts. Like I, I don't control what comes into my mind. Right. And so you, you find yourself, you find yourself in a situation where the best explanation is that you're being attacked or these things are happening to you. Right. And, and like who's, and who's doing it. Right. You, you orient yourself and, and in, and within the tradition, it's like this, that is what, that that is what demons do is in this, is in, in that environment, right? Is you're in the cell and they and and they hurl things at you from outside, right? They hurl thoughts at you and hurl you know um, um, you know things to excite your passions, dreams, you know, whatever. So I think you know. So there are two there there are two sort of broad ways that I think I'd wanna I'd, I'd want I'd wanna start um, talking about demons. But then it's like that you know the question is really um, one of talking about demons in terms of their manifestations, right? In terms of cultural forces on the one hand and uh and, and that kind of thing and then you know these thoughts that occur to you in the cell on the other and of course there's you know there's all sorts of crisscross over there
0: Yeah, so it's it's a really interesting overlap, and it's surprising to me that we haven't discussed it before in some ways. Um, because it 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 is it really is the exact intersection of of your work and my own work, which tends to focus a lot of times on on monasticism, ancient monasticism, John Cassian in particular, but a lot of other authors, Evagrius and many of these other, these other thinkers. It's it's a remarkable observation when you're thinking about the world around us, the world of politics, the world of society that you 're absolutely right, the influence of the demonic tends to come in these big, broad patterns and I think what you pointed out there about worship being really essential like that's that 's key that 's something huge that i 've taken from you in the things you say and work on is that the question of what we worship is so central it 's not a question of if you 're going to worship anything. we have these notions sometimes in our in our modern world as though you know theism and atheism are these opposed things or or whatever uh you you will worship humans worship and that's absolutely non-negotiable you're going to worship um you know in the, in the words of the great bob dylan you're gonna serve somebody it may be the devil it may be the lord but you're gonna serve somebody and i is dead on you know uh slow train coming great great late uh dylan album um but yeah, but, but, but seriously, it's it's absolutely right, and he's far from the first person to ever observe this. So it's not a question of if you're going to worship; it's what you're going to worship. And in our in our crazy world as as lay people, um, th- this is how we tend to see the demonic at work, inviting our worship towards certain certain things. And and so I find it really interesting that you you note and it just seems so obvious in retrospect as soon as you said this now that that those who really make a very very especially conscious break from that tend to be the ones who are much more prone to these kinds of like um, d- sort of direct encounters with things like these intrusive thoughts uh it's almost i mean i think there's a, there's an old tradition in the orthodox in orthodox thinking, and I don't know who I would credit this to, you know, at any point in history, but it's certainly something I've run across many times. This notion that you, you know, it's almost as if the demons will will find will will push you in the easiest way that they can find. You know, so if if all they need to do is is you know put an, an advertisement or something on on the side of your Google search that entices you to to something you you shouldn't be getting involved in, um, well, then that's all they're going to do. They don't exactly need to. <laughs> you know, to launch a, a massive psychological attack on you. And they just, there's just, all you need is Twitter. So it's simple, but if you've really removed, the more you remove yourself from that, the more these attacks become the type of thing that these monks and and sometimes nuns too are describing out in the desert. Um, these very intrusive um, intrusive thoughts. And and this is what starts to get artistically represented as little, little men with horns. Um, that 's not the they're not intended to literally be understood that way, and clearly, if you read these these ancient authors they 're not uh, understood as you know little invisible people, but it 's that notion that this is outside me. I found it really interesting in the last few years to hear more and more about how, in like modern secular mental health mental health care um, there 's in certain circles an increasing push to not think of certain types of thoughts as coming from you yourself. That when you realize this thought really is coming from not me, that you have, you have, a ch- you have half a chance against the thing. When you associate yourself with your anxieties or whatever, when you think, well, that's me, I did that. Um, it's, it's much harder to, to heal from these things. And it's not, it's not true to our experience. You know when thoughts come into your head, how any person i don't care the the a raving atheist who thinks every single thing we're saying right now is complete idiocy, but I guarantee you they will want, they will talk about thoughts popping into their head right ideas we all experience ideas as coming at least some of them as coming externally from ourselves, and so what you're saying, I think, is that those whatever the source of that kind of a, an external thought a thought's experience is external. I I don't know the precise nature of the ontological source of that. The ancient fathers will debate, oh, do they have bodies that we just can't quite see? Do they have no bodies at all? You know, the body is made of air. And these are all speculations. They never settle on exactly what's going on there. But what we know is that there's some source beyond my mind. And there's then this this experience of certain kinds of thoughts. And if those thoughts are bringing me away from Christ, then, then the origin of those thoughts is demons. And in a lot of ways, it's just kind of that—that's simple. I don't necessarily need to know exactly what the demons are made of. I can, and that's what I'm trying to go for. Why by saying something like, you know, demons are,
1: you know, an attempt at explaining the common pattern of a variety of phenomena, something like that. Because you can't, like, you don't, we we don't have access to it. I mean, and the distinction, what I'm thinking about is that is the one of thing. One of the things Augustine will say is that like i the only reason i know you dan have a soul is because you know you you appear to be a human like me you know in relevantly similar ways and i know i have a soul right and so it's like i can i can read you know i can i can read this from i can read this from the outside because i have you know i have a kind of awareness i have a kind of uh Uh, you know, awareness of my own constitution that, you know, when others out there look like me, other people, other humans, it's like, okay, yeah, we're all probably, you know, more or less the same on this count. But you can't do that the same way with demons, right? I don't, like, I don't have access to the quote-unquote soul of the demon the way I have an access to you, your soul, um, because I know how human speech works and I know how it reveals, I know how I use human speech to reveal my soul and to reveal my thoughts and, and desires and things like that and, and whatnot. And so I, I can see the same thing and you can know something about your soul through your speech and through your actions, that kind of thing. But the, but demons don't have, like what body do they have? Well, the bodies they have are a kind of, are are are, are this kind of mythical um You know, mythological cultural structure. The bodies they have are these statues, but obviously they're not the demonic. You know, the 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 statues of the gods. You know, uh, these gods are demons, but they're not. You know, the statues aren't demons the way. You know, your body is related to your soul, kind of thing. So there's and and there's uh, you know, and that move is that move is important. Like what what it does is unhinge a little bit and and. Kind of raise this specter of like, are we really talking about something real? Like, how do you know it's real? And I and I get that, and that's like that's an important question to ask. But the the other thing it does is say like, look, the gods we don't have statues around anymore. Um, but that doesn't mean the demons have gone away, it, it, right? Like it 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 makes it possible to see how you can undergo a radical cultural shift and still have things mediate and manifest the demons we can have a uh, we can have a culture that that pretends with all thoroughness that we don't have gods right we th- we we don't, we tell ourselves that we there are no gods of the nations anymore you know paganism was a thing in the past and not, and all this although I think it's I think it's going to make a roaring comeback uh, very soon um, so you know mark my words but hey, the point is that like that you know well it's the line it's the end uh, or the this line from um, the usual suspects the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world. That he didn't exist. Is it, is
0: it, it orig, originate in the usual suspects? I feel like that's like a line from a church father. Or
1: it's a twist <laughs> on a line by uh, someone who's uh, that I can't, I can't recall.
0: <laughs> and, and so we, we, we live on, we have the um, conceit Correct. socially that we don't have gods. But in fact, you're saying we do. Oh, yeah, obviously.
1: <laughs> right. We have like, yeah, of course. Of course, we have all sorts of cultic behavior. We have all sorts of things that we serve—ideas, ide- ideologies, um, desires. Um, it's like saying we don't. We, you don't have culture it's, or something. Of course, you yeah. have culture.
0: So, so we obviously—and this is sort of related to the point I was making before—you you, you're going to worship somebody. We're, we're quoting Dylan, and and so insofar as those structures within our society, within our politics, or whatever are guided away from the one true God who's manifest in Christ, then, then they're, they are demonic and they're, they're mixed up. They're mixed up in some way with, with these demons, these more literal demons who tend to be encountered more often by monastics, although often by lay people too. I mean, I've had some interesting run-ins in my own life, um, but they're, they're, all, they're all mixed up together. They're all of, of a piece But one question, well, and and so I think in in our second half, which we're going to be coming up on not too long, maybe we should dive into what you think are some of the best examples in our world of the kind of corrupt uh, anti-Christian worship that you're talking about. What what some of those gods are? Like, let's maybe name some of them. Um, and we, and I doubt we'll be able to name all of them and we won't be able to dive into what they all are or what they do. And I mean, that's sort of that is sort of, I guess, the subject of this entire podcast, which may run for months or years uh, just to try to n- name them. We could we could do this whole podcast is sitting around listing, just trying to create an exhaustive list of every. Every God, you know, the the ancient Romans had all these gods. They had the God of, you know, the top of the door, the lintel, and then the door. And I, you know, I think we do it in a lot of ways too. Like they're not, their intuition is kind of not wrong in a cockeyed way. You know, if you're going to live in a pagan world, then every little thing becomes, everything becomes a God. Everything. You know, think about the, think about what you're asking
1: Um, and how, and how, like how that would be, how that would be perceived. You know what I mean? Like, start start naming the false gods. Well, and I guess this, I guess, it, such an exercise could be helpful because it might actually get you into the headspace of what it was like for the early Christians. Like for us, in retrospect, you know, it seems like the easiest thing in the world to just like speak against what we now f- call paganism, right? Oh, you just denounce or whatever. But that's like, but but you're speaking against your neighbors and your friends. Like, you want me to start naming, you want you want to like start doing some brainstorming and spitballing about what the false gods are. Like we're going to be talking about a number of things that our closest co-workers and neighbors and friends think are in all seriousness, seriousness, very important and probably even
0: like Christian in many cases, yeah. Yeah. And we will I mean in and in fairness, we will if we dive into that, which I definitely think we should now, I mean at this point, I feel like it's irresistible as our second half topic uh, i if if we dive into that, we also dive into ourselves too i mean i you know I, I don't want to speak for you but i i'm certainly not a saint who floats around and has the uncreated light just pouring out of my eyes all the time.
1: my feet don't touch the ground
0: yeah <laughs> i One of the things I really like about about our conversations is is the degree to which I can think about my own participation in these things, you know, these anti-Christian cults, um, the the demonic worship uh, around me, which takes all kinds of forms. You know, it does not limit itself to one side or the other of the political spectrum. Uh, it does not limit itself to s- certain demographics. It, you know, I am a Christian. I'm an Orthodox Christian specifically who absolutely participates in it in my own ways in ways to which I think I'm often completely blind. You know, I don't know how, how, how often this has happened to you, but I, I frequently in life, well, all the time in life, I look back and think, geez, I've been like, <laughs> you know, here I've been sacrificing to bow practically for the last 10 years. And I did like, I didn't even notice it to say nothing about starting the process of actually extricating myself from that, which can be very difficult. And like, I didn't even, it's it's like I was sleepwalking and like (laughs) sacrificing to an idol. And then you wake up and go, holy crap, this is, this is a big old idol that I've been involved in. And I expect that will keep on happening for the rest of my life, probably. He's noti- noticing this. It's, 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 you're right. It's our friends. It's, a, it's our family. It's the people around us. It's also ourselves. It's the people outside the church for sure. It's the people inside the church for sure. Uh, although there may be – I think there's like an important distinction there between those who are trying to not do this <laughs> and those who are, are just whole hog completely embracing it. And, and maybe that's what it means to be part of the church is to join, is to join the group who are giving it an effort to not to worship only Christ. Not that that comes easy and not that we always are anywhere near perfect on it, but that we, we give it a shot.
1: Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. in the sense, not so much like that, that we're bonded by, by our efforts, but, but that the thing that we're trying to do is attach, attach ourselves, be attached to the one who has overcome, who has overcome the demons. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, uh, like, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of kind of, Background context to how a conversation like like this could even be intelligible, like a couple of things, you know, to say that you've been sacrificing to bail, you know, you've right, you have you have this realization that you've been sacrificing. Like, think about what that in that assumes, right? Like, what kind of, you know, what are you talking about? You know, one one of the things because no one thinks that bail is anything anymore. And yet, to you, it seems like a meaningful—you uh, know—it's uh, not just a meaningful utterance. It's like this. It's like a point of a point of revelation. Um, uh, to have you know, to have to have found your found yourself that you have been sacrificing to false gods. But how have you been doing it, right? It assumes a kind of sacramental theology. It assumes a kind of, you know, it assumes a, a, that. What it assumes is that you can do something without knowing it. That that there are these actions that that mean something, right? That uh, you know that loving loving in this wrong way or or you desiring this this wrong thing can be, as Augustine says, like offering incense to demons in your heart, right? That there are these that you met, that that making sacrifices isn't you know making a sacrifice is a meaningful symbolic action even when you're not, you know, literally slaughtering an animal uh, and placing, them on, on, uh, placing it on the altar. Right? That we still do make sacrifices in our life.
0: I think you're pushing back a little bit against the notion that 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 I could only ever do that consciously, that there is there's a kind of sacramentality to the to what we are and to the universe around us such that I can participate consciously or unconsciously in in all kinds of cults Um, as opposed to a, a view of ethics or morality or just life in general that that might suggest that. You know, I'm not sort of responsible or accountable for those things that I didn't deliberately consciously try to do. Am I reading you there correctly? That's, yeah, that's a a nuanced part. I think the
1: broader part is like if you're going to understand what we're talking about, what you and I are talking about when we talk about demons, one of the things you have to realize is that just because you're not, you know, slaughtering an animal on an altar doesn't mean you're not worshipping. Right? Doesn't mean you're not sacrificing. Doesn't mean you're not offering yourself to something. Uh, and that, yes, and in, indeed, you can even be offering yourself to something without without knowing it. Yeah. Because and the and the and the point is that because the 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 animal on the altar was already always an externalized manifestation of a will and desire that you had inwardly to begin with what you want the reason the animals on the altar in the first place is because you know you want things to go well for you you want things to go a certain way you have a certain desire for your life and you're trying to get in harmony with the gods who you think might help you get at right so the problem isn't the animal on the altar the problem is 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 you know a dispositional one and that's much harder to get to um, but that's the locus, right? That's the locus of engagement with demons it's in is in these desires.
0: Do you? So we have just a couple more minutes left in the first half, and and then we'll go to the second half for for the Patreon portion. Um, and and yeah, I think we should do this. We'll see if we can list off, rattle off a few modern gods who are demons. Um, but but also, I th- I think to mix into it. Um, There's this other problem in ancient Christianity and there's this other problem in modern life, which is that not absolutely everything that's ever come from outside the church is evil. And and the early fathers, including uh, uh, St. Augustine, tremendously wrangle with Plato, especially he becomes a key touch point for this because the church fathers really want (laughs) to say the stuff that's true in Plato or or Aristotle, too, as well. or, or any of any ancient philosopher, or any anything good and true from anywhere, they they want to be able to have that. They want to be able to hold on to that. Uh, but Plato is is manifestly a pagan. I mean, he's a very religious thinker too. It's not with Aristotle, you can almost take a little bit of a dodge because he doesn't religion isn't that important for Aristotle. What well, we might call religion, anyway. But for Plato, like it absolutely. He, this is hugely about gods, you know, actual gods um, for Plato and how we worship them and, and how. We live in a world in which they have power, really, truly. And so to try to extricate what, what comes out of a Plato um, that the church fathers want, that the, the church wants to keep, is this very tricky, very, very difficult business. And it, it all makes me think that that's a, perennial, that's a perennial concern. It would be very easy if, the, if everything outside the church was just, was just evil you know then then we would we would just cut ourselves off from from everything all the time but but this isn't what the church has ever done uh it's taken this far more difficult path um so I'd be like I, how do like how do we do that <laughs> oh wow how do we do it i don't it? know um well i mean that's not true <laughs> yeah 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 like unfair question
1: yeah How do you do it? You know the the practical question. I mean, you got to go to church. You got to worship. You got to orient yourself to Christ. You got to you got to get into communion with Christ. That's the practical answer. But like, you know, pull pull back a little bit here, and you know, what is like what's even going on? There's I think there's a couple of things you could point to um, to make sense of why. And and you know, and it's something that a lot of people outside of Orthodox Orthodox and and probably Catholic traditions don't don't really you know have a hard time appreciating because they don't, you know, haven't necessarily had the had the traditions or maintained the traditions. But there's a couple of ways that you think about it that make sense of why it's not outside the church, it isn't just like um, you know, all univocal darkness. Right. A couple of things, you know, one is one is the idea of, of the of the uh disseminated word, right? The spermatiki logi, right? That that there the logic of God, so to speak, uh is implanted and inworked th- you know, dispersed throughout all of creation. All of creation in its design manifests the will of God and thus refers to God. And so truth is found, is found everywhere. That anything exists, right? And if we think about that as a kind of coming from, you know, a truth coming from below, as it were, built into the structure of things, you can also think about it as as coming from above in the sense, and the, and the way I think I've been working with this thought, you know, recently, because I'm going to give this talk on, on angels in a few days, like one of the ways that we have this embedded in our tradition is that God appoints um, appoints the nations and, I, and numbers the nations according to the angels. Okay, so God has uh, so the so God has provided. You know, God has uh, embedded the divine pattern within all of creation. Of course, uniquely humans are the image of God, um, but all of creation, you know, you know, manifests that at a lo- at, at lower levels. Um, but then also provides administration for all creation uh, through the angels. And so all nations, all peoples, all nations, all tongues and, and tribes are given angels, are given divine direction um, available to them uh, to orient them to God. And so to a to a certain extent you will find all peoples manifesting the these tr- you know elements of this of of true, of um, of true worship, true cult, of true of the truth, right? You will find elements everywhere because God has provided direction for that precisely to be able to happen. Um, and what and the problem is that the nations then uh, exchange uh, their angelic leadership for um, for demonic leadership and go astray. And so you always this just this mix, right? It's always just a mix.
0: Well, it sounds like that leaves us with a lot to talk about <laughs> for a long time. It's extricating things out yeah. from that mix is what's is <laughs> a life a lifelong process. That basically concludes the public portion of the show at this point, right at the 45 mark. Uh so we'll pause here and just let all the listeners know that our conversation will continue in the second half which we publish for patrons only. Uh, and here's a quick taste of what's in store for the second half today. Name, name me three gods of, of <laughs> the North American slash Canadian uh, nation that are demons. Yeah,
1: one of the one of the aspects about one, or one of the ways it manifests is in imp- improper diversity.
0: All right. So if you'd like to keep listening, please join us on patreon.com at Men Among Demons for the rest of the episode. And we are very grateful for your support. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Men Among Demons podcast.
1: Your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash menamongdemons for exclusive content and to join the conversation. Thank you for listening.
0: Take it easy, Greg.
1: See you, man.